Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Right now, the national preoccupation is the COVID pandemic. But there's another issue that should be getting much more attention these days, and that's the militarization of space. Why? Because in the future, space wars could be far more disruptive or cause far more devastation here on Earth than the usual planetary conflicts. My guest, German investigative reporter Dirk Pohlmann, has been covering aviation and the militarization of space for some time now, and he's here to talk about it. Welcome, Dirk. Hi. Hi, Christina. Glad to be with you again. Let's talk about the history first of the militarization of space. Uh, I guess that started with Sputnik, right, back in the 50s? Yeah, uh, we also had, uh, from both superpowers, there were plans to have kind of a military space station. Um, that was discovered uh, in the beginning of the 2000s when, a, I think, a cleaning woman found uh, some uh, astronaut suits uh, which looked uh, quite military with rank uh, insignia on it. And from there on, it was noticed that uh, the United States, but also the Soviet Union, had plans to have a military uh, station in orbit. Uh, the plans were shelved. They never, uh, they never really uh, became reality. But the idea was there from both sides. In the 2000s? No, that uh, the space station, it was discovered by accident by this cleaning woman who found these, uh, the spacesuits in a, in a closet, really. Um, the uh, the idea is from the 60s yeah, that they uh, that they tried to do that, but it never materialized. Yeah. Oh, my God. OK, so. But you can see this is always I mean, the, the, the point is always you have a new technology and then uh, the uh, um, the thought is, can it be used militarily? Can it be used uh, for strategic purposes? And of course, space is very interesting. I mean, it started with the spy flights, which they were then transformed. Uh, spy flights, um, you have the advantage with a plane that you can go where you want. With a satellite, it's always in orbit. But that's shifted from the U-2 and the SR-71 uh, to the Corona uh, <clears throat> satellites um, at that time. Yeah. So uh, it was with the beginning of the U-2 was also the beginning of the uh, of the possibility of satellite in uh, uh, intelligence, surveillance, yeah, National Reconnaissance Office, and so on. So that is from the beginning. And I think we can say that uh, there is a space stra uh, strategy that was uh, under the Bush government in 2006. That's when I first noticed that they were talking about, uh, it's basically, you could say, gunboat policy in space, that uh, the America declared that they want to have the capability to deny access to anybody they don't want in space or they consider um, a threat. And really anybody <laughs> who uh, has satellites in space can be a threat like that. And then you also have this change, uh, this strange, the strange case of China, which was banned from taking part uh, the, in the ISS space station in 2011. That Why? Was in <laughs> that was in connection really two things. It was a spy scandal at the, uh, at, uh, I think, Lawrence Livermore Laboratories, at least at, the, at a nuclear oh, research yeah. center. And then there was something in, uh, in your parliament where they decided they, uh, they couldn't have that. And that other was uh, intellectual property, that they considered that the Chinese would steal intellectual property if they had access to the space station. And that was the idea. Basically, China steals everything, so we don't let them have it. 
And that is the official version, I would also say, because China uh, is now, uh, it does everything in space. It has space stations, it has astronauts, it has satellites, it's uh, talking about, it put uh, rovers on the moon, uh, they want to go to Mars, they are talking about landing on the moon, so they are really the competitors to the United States in terms of spacefare. It's not really Russia. Yeah? Russia is on a, on a lower level. They can do their stuff pretty well, but uh, China is uh, really much more eager to, uh, to get into space and to do something there. And nowadays, it's also about mining. It's about asteroid mining. So it's like putting a claim uh, on space. Are they already mining? No, no, no. They're not oh, already, okay. but the possibility is, is out there now. For example, asteroids are, are quite interesting in terms of the elements that you can get there. So that is, it's on the horizon. And uh, now they, um, you know, to put it bluntly, it is like the United States has space as ours. Uh, there was even a quote that space is now the uh, 51st state of the, <laughs> of the United States. That's what... Um, I, I, that, that just sounds crazy to me i mean space space is is we don't even know how big space is it's infinite it seems or whatever i mean how can the united states that that sounds like that sounds crazy it is yeah you could say i mean that's why i say gunboat policy it's really the ideas of the 19th century um uh, like it's kind of a uh imperialist uh re um rebooting of uh, of the whole thing so um, that is saying that uh, if uh, that's even in these uh, in these uh, laws and in the strategy that was published that they say they want to dominate. So the possibility is that uh, we dominate on uh, in the uh, on land, on sea, and uh, in the air, and they also uh, want space. to dominate space. Yeah, and it's a little bit magnumalia, of course, uh, and you could say it. You could compare it in a way to let's say. Antarctica, where they were treaties and say, you could imagine, I would imagine in the future of mankind, we would think about um, how to do things cooperatively uh, and cooperation. And that's really what space in a way was about in the 70s. You remember after Apollo, and then there was this shake hands in space. So the attitude at uh, the detente um, situation in, uh, in the 70s, after the landing on the moon, which was, of course, uh, an idea from, from Kennedy. And I think uh, Kennedy wanted to have that in the way that, uh, that it is an outlook to the future. And you could also talk about science fiction movies. Uh, for example, there's a famous East German, East German and Polish science fiction movie, probably not famous in the United States, but uh, at least for East Germans, it was uh, a state of the art movie uh, after uh, a novel from Stanislav Lem, one of the greatest science fiction writers and maybe writers anyhow, which was a lot about, uh, about cooperation. It was a, an emergency call from planet Venus and, uh, and uh, the, uh, there was a rocket sent to Venus to look what's going on there and the crew was international. There was a lady from, there was a guy, a mathematician from India and a lady from Japan. There was a Russian and an American together on the spaceship in this <clears throat> Eastern Bloc science fiction. So you could see the idea at that time was cooperation. We do this together. That's a new endeavor and we leave behind 
the problems that we have on Earth and uh, space is the, the possibility of a tabula rasa, where it can start completely fresh. But what we have now is uh, it's uh, part of the power game. So it's, um, old it's become the, it used to be the great game for oil, the big energy thing. And now it's the great game for space. Is I think so. I think so. Exactly. I think that is uh, that is uh, very much comparable. And uh, it's, you know, the mindset, if you go to with a mindset of uh, of superior uh, of superiority and of capitalism to space, then you think uh, I want to do the mining. It's my claim and I want to have my gumballs out there. It's not at all like uh, um, like Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek is a very different vision again. It's a very humanistic vision. It is. Well, uh, you know, I, well, first, before I make the comment that I'm, I'm thinking of making, I, it, it's interesting how you had Bush, you know, reestablishing the gunboat policy. We assert our right to defend ourselves in space, blah, blah, blah. And then along comes Trump. And he asserts because, you know, he's a commercial guy. He's a, you know, real estate guy. He, yes. he, he writes an executive order asserting U.S. property rights in outer yeah. space. I mean, how do you do that? How do you do that? I mean, I guess you can do it if you can, if you can back it up. But, um, you know, basically he said, uh, encouraging international support for the recovery and use of space resources, uh, throwing aside decades of international negotiations, he declared that the United States does not view space as a global commons and that successful long-term exploration will require partnership with commercial entities to recover mm -hmm. and use resources. And these will require, quote, the right to commercial recovery. So yeah. I find this interesting because now you have Bezos. Now you have, instead of nations in space, you have individuals, you know, uh, Musk and Bezos who, who are in space. Now, what does that do to the equation? That's a, a very good and important question because uh, you uh, might have noticed that there just has been the problem that... Uh, I mean, uh, Musk has, has sent something like 400 satellites to space. Um, I noticed, uh, I got a call from a, from a colleague who told me, um, she's quite young, 30 years, and she said, I'm looking at the, at the sky and what is this? Is this UFOs or what? Yeah. She saw the lights crossing over because there, it's, a, it's a huge amount of satellites now. And these satellites are up there. And uh, there was, has been a complaint by China who have their space station out there in orbit. And the satellites, one, there were two complaints. One complaint was for a satellite that originally had been on an orbit of about 500 kilometers. And it was lowered at a, at a certain angle so that the angle and the height gives you, height gives you uh, a, a position, a, a, a location in space. And it was lowered from 500 to 382 kilometers. 390 is where the Chinese space station is floating around. So the Chinese, to avoid uh, a, um, it was a near miss, what you would call an aviation, a near miss. So uh, to avoid that, the Chinese moved their space station. So a near a miss with, with um, Musk's, one of Musk's Starlink satellites? Yes. 
Wow. Uh, settled. That's what you would call that. And as I said, and, and, and it's uh, an air traffic control. That's what you would call an EMS. The question is, why did they lower the satellite to getting so close to the Chinese space station? What's that? What is that about? Uh, I mean, uh, it, uh, as far <clears throat> I cannot read the Chinese social media, but I read that there was a furor uh, <clears throat> in China about this, and they considered it kind of a kind of uh, space terrorism. Yeah, so oh. that uh, that you do something. There was a second occasion where also a satellite from this Musk satellites was, um, <clears throat> you know, going in a, in a erratic uh, attitude, <clears throat> altitude movement so that they couldn't predict even where it was going they again had to move the chinese space station so it would not there would not be the possibility of collision it is not really that somebody was aiming it at it but it was giving a threat and now is exactly the question that you mentioned it's a private entity so all the treaties and all the thoughts that we had up to now is between space um, being used by states and there's also the question of the militarization of space. With Trump, you had both. You had uh, the space command was erected, so to get with the military in space. And uh, like you mentioned, these, uh, you know, the commercialization of space. And you could talk about that, how to do that. But uh, obviously, America has the idea to lead it and, um, as I said, deny access to anybody else they don't want. And that would be mainly... Uh, uh, Russia and China. There's also, I mean, India's uh, into space. Israel uh, tried to bring something to the moon, which did not work. So they're also into that. That, was, And there are a lot of other entities that will come. The so Iranians will, have launched a satellite, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they, I mean, not, in but, April uh, 2021, they launched a satellite, <clears throat> a military satellite. Yes. Yeah, it's also, I think, good that you remind me. I think one of the points was that uh, with the 2011, why the Chinese were not allowed on the ISS was also that it was declared that they would try to militarize space and use uh, uh, anti-satellite satellites as anti-satellite weapons. That was an accusation. Yeah, but it's uh, in, in, in psychology you would call that a projection. That's exactly what. <laughs> what the I'm thinking that's what the Americans are going to do. I mean, I, yes. Well, I mean, does. Uh, also, French, uh, the French established a space command in 2019. Yes, I mean, it's I think it's awful. Um, it's uh, I always think in terms of uh, what do I leave to my children and grandchildren? And this is not what I want. Uh, and even if you uh, if you for a short moment would consider an extraplanetary attitude, what would you think? Uh, if you were, you were kind of a Star Trek uh, alien civilization and see well, how this. That's an interesting thing because, um, you know, we were having a discussion about this and about uh, that show on History Channel that is uh, that uh, what's it called again with with the, that guy Elizondo mm -hmm. um, who talking about alien they were talking about alien encounters uh you know military people talking about alien encounters and of course um a group of them went to they 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 complained to congress that the united states had no policy for dealing with these ufos that they were running into and um and so immediately of course the militarization, oh, we have to have a, you know, we, we've got to 
we've got to defend ourselves against these people. Now, in all the years that people have been seeing UFOs and, you know, UFO, whatever, I've never heard ever of a report of a UFO attacking anybody. Mm. I mean, I guess some people talk about being abducted, uh, but I, I, I don't know. I've never heard of anybody being, you know, killed by a UFO, mm. you know? So I'm wondering, it, I, I find it, it, and so Elizondo, I mean, because the whole rationale now for, for militarization of space seems to be, uh, well, the more and more of these things, we're seeing more and more of these things and we feel threatened. It is, uh, in a way, I think it's completely like, ridiculous. Because if you think, uh, as you said, if we, uh, depending where you want to start, uh, if you start 1947, like it's usually done, which I think is wrong because we have uh, descriptions of something that we would call today UFOs, uh, which go back uh, hundreds of years. Yeah? There's, uh, there's things there, there are even paintings and so on. So. That is questionable. But even if you if you started with uh, um, with uh, 1947, uh, as some of most of the books that I've seen on that would do, then uh, if there would have been the idea, if there is an extraterrestrial intelligence and civilization, if they are interested in us, which it pretty much would be, we would be too. That's the way that we would be handle it. Handle it. We would be interested. You know, we sent uh, sent uh, uh, satellites out and not satellites, but rather spacecraft out in space with messages to, in case somebody yeah. picks it up. So this is the way we we approach that. And uh, so, if there was anything out there, uh, then what kind of uh, technological advantage is there? If they had, if they wanted to mine on Earth, if they use uh, what try to use our water, if they would treat us as cattle or whatever, and whatever thought you have, they could have done it in 70 years. And what the heck could we have done about it? Right. That is, uh, I mean, you, you have these movies like Independence Day, but that is ridiculous. If you have a technology like that and you come with your F-50, <laughs> shoot the, the, I mean, it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And had it been, uh, had it been a, a problem, then we would have noticed by now. So uh, it's again, I think it's a projection of the uh, of well, the superpower thinking to space. That's what we have, and they always think in these terms of uh, of uh, uh, I want to have, uh, let's say, the the biggest uh, the biggest possibility to use it, and I want to deny access to anybody else. And on the other hand, if you look at it, if uh, I think it's comparable, you know, there are these tribes on the Andaman Islands. If a helicopter comes, they shoot with bow and arrow at them. If somebody comes at the beach, they will kill him. So we are kind of, of a Komodo lizards <laughs> in space and would be considered, uh, uh, you know, who would, would you like to get in contact with us? And uh, if you see what's going on planet Earth yeah. and seeing that no. nuclear weapons have been used against uh, our own uh, our own entity, uh, our very own race. Very violent, very violent. Very violent, very dangerous. I would put a, a mark at them, planet Earth, and say, beware, Komodo lizards, come back in 5,000 <laughs> years and see if they're still there. Maybe they're more rational. So in terms, even in that I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if we have these uh, amount of, of uh, interesting questions that arise from the fact that 
there is something that is acknowledged meanwhile, that there is something we cannot explain. And then my rationale would be, uh, we should make sure that our attitude is in a way that somebody, somebody, some other civilization would be interested in getting in contact with us. Um, but I think we just do the opposite. <laughs> All this, well, what you see. You know, we were we were talking about Elizondo and that show, which was all about uh, encounters with UFOs and so on. And, and, you know, the concern going to Congress and so on and so forth. And uh, somebody I know, I can't say this person's name, <clears throat> but who knows, was saying that this is part of a propaganda campaign to generate fear and panic to gain more budget for the militarization of space, to justify yes. more budget for the militarization of space. So it's like the same, the story continues again, you know. Again, exactly, exactly. I yeah, mean, that is, uh, that's uh, exactly what you mentioned is, I, I took it, I tried to take it from the outside perspective. Uh, that is something that uh, I talk with my colleague uh, where we try to report on these things on a rational, scientific, at, let's say philosophical level. And I would like I would like to see a conference where people from all strands of science, which would be astrophysicists like um, Avi Loeb is a very, very, very interesting guy, very open guy. And you have uh, maybe people from, from philosophy, from communications, from linguistic, so it's from biology. Uh, astrobiology is a is a reasonable field. Meanwhile, so that uh, to to come to the idea, what would be the preconditions for us? How should we handle this? It, and instead of that, is this handled by people going for a military budget? And I think, from what I know, I would say that <clears throat> Lou Elizondo. Uh, I was very suspicious in the beginning, but I think he's a straightforward, honest guy, well, he's that's my, a, he's my he, impression. Uh, I, I think um, he's a good guy Yeah. under pressure. That's what I would say. <laughs> I would say for me, he's, uh, I would call that, I, mean, I don't mean that ironic, good American. So he thinks that the public should know about, that we should investigate that. And, but this whole thing is managed by people who look at it from a military perspective. And then he is under, you know, he's under classification and so on. So he can't tell anything, everything he knows. But um, it is now, meanwhile, and then you can see that uh, all these senators are always listen to that. And they always say, uh, we have to know if this is Russian or Chinese. Definitely not. Yeah, uh, they don't have anti-gravity <laughs> devices, which are, are, can go through other dimensions and so on. What you would have to think about what it could be if you look at it. I mean, all the movements, uh, it's, I think scientifically, it should be something that should be handled by scientific community. The scientific community is also tainted now by commercial interests, by, uh, by national interest, always, had, always has been. But uh, we should try to liberate science into a level that is really for the human race, that the yeah, science well, is working with. Yeah, and is this, is, this is an area of science, um, and this is an area of inquiry that is always wrapped in in ridicule you know uh okay we want to militarize space but you believe in aliens yeah. you know so what are we doing we're militarizing space so we can better fight each other here on earth i mean we have the chinese hypersonic missile right yeah um and russian we have the russians are very strong in hypersonic 
you could say they are more advanced meanwhile than uh, than the American side with that. So uh, sort of the military power of Russia, it's it's an astonishing switch. You know, in the when I grew up, 70s, 80s, it was that uh, Russia had enormous amounts of uh, of planes and tanks and submarines and ships, and they were not high quality. And the Americans were able to produce with uh, with computer technology. Uh, the ad advanced weapons where the Soviets could not really compete in the field of high tech. And um, Russia was uh, big money spending, corruption and so on. Yeah? And now it switched around. Russia is very, with the amount they pay less for the military than the United States pays for their intelligence apparatus. And they're able to come up with new inventions all the time. And they're very advanced, very effective. It's like it switched around. And now uh, the, uh, America, which has this huge 700 billion. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, it's completely bloated. And, and their procurement and development uh, processes are so burdensome. Mess. So burdensome. It's, they take forever. Mess. You know, I mean, these, um, these, uh, <laughs> my son who was in Afghanistan, you know, he said like these, mm. these guys, these, these Afghans, um, their warlord, would give them, you know, a bunch of money and say, go build these drones. And they were building these, <laughs> you know, they were building this stuff, these things like, first of all, they were under threat of death if they didn't deliver, if they stole the money and didn't deliver and they had to deliver tooth sweet and that's what it, but in, in the American uh, development uh, system and procurement system, it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's it, again, it's caught up in the, we got to make money here. We got to make money there. We got to, you know, so that everything, let's drag this out. Let's make this more expensive than it has to be and so on. And it's, it's just a mess, but to get back to space and the militarization of space, obviously those are huge commercial uh, possibilities for the usual suspects. Yes. Okay. So and you have this tendency that you see um, the whole thing is uh, oligarchic. Um, it's in space uh, again. So where I wanted to get at was that <clears throat> now Trump uh, um, business, made a business enterprise out of that. And you right. have now Bezos and you have, uh, 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 and you have Elon Musk uh, doing that. And now, uh, but this the situation that I described with China is, that uh, there's a new entity, which are private entities, and they're in this field where formerly only states have been. And this is kind of a military operation. And you have to think about it also that probably some people in the American intelligence services now think about how they could use this advantage of these private companies yeah, that are right. in there, which are kind of out of the boundaries uh, that we had before, how to use that strategically, militarily, in terms of the space command, you have kind of a, that's a new entity. So how can you use it? And they think about it in that term. And if we talk about how ridiculous, I mean, it was ridiculed for a long time, this discussion uh, about other, uh, other intelligence, other civilizations. I mean, it's a, as a scientific question, I think it's uh, somewhere there's something, there's the family paradox. Where are they yeah, if they are there? But uh, you have, would have to think in terms as a rational being, you, you have to think in terms of the possibility. And that's always what intelligence services do. And the, when it started, they 
were very they were and are very interested in what it is they just can grasp it they just cannot understand nobody can understand so I, they, I, and then they decided if we uh, if it's it could be important so nobody should know about it you nobody know, should accept I, us i have my suspicions i and i i'm i'm going to tell you about an experience i had and um i didn't know what to make of it until i saw this guy years later on tv um when i was working at cnn uh back in let me see i guess it was uh maybe 15 years ago you know and um i was doing this film i'm not i did this film called for ABC Entertainment, I was working on this film. I didn't do the film I was working on. I was a producer, segment producer, called Sex with Cindy Crawford. <laughs> and I met, I met this love doctor, this woman. She was uh, a, a Mexican woman, really wonderful person. We became friends. And one day after the, that was over, and I, actually that was for ABC, and then I got a job at CNN. And then she called me, we became friends. She called me one day and she goes, Christina, I want you to come over here and meet someone. And I come, come there and there's this guy and he tells me his name is David Adair mm -hmm. and he's a rocket scientist. I mean, this was a, like a rocket genius from, you know, seven years old or something. And, you know, these really smart geniuses, um, you know, the government trolls for them as they're growing up and he was sucked into the system. And he told me that he worked on uh, he he was he did some work on reverse engineering alien craft that you put your hands you know you put your hands in these two things and that's how you you know uh maneuvered the craft really? or whatever he told me this whole story and he was very paranoid very paranoid didn't want and I was like, uh, you know, this is a little weird. And plus, you know, I'm, I'm with CNN. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? You know, I mean, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't know. And I, but I went home and I looked him up and I thought, well, well, you know, this guy, this guy is not a nut. That's for sure. And so, uh, so I, I just let it be because uh, doing UFOs is a, not a career move you want to make in the, in the mainstream. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So, and then uh, literally, I think it was last year, a couple of years ago, I saw him on the Gaia channel, which is a, a channel that is for spiritual stuff. Yeah. And went, okay. And there's David Adair and there's a string of other military guys talking about dealing with you know extraterrestrials and i'm thinking to my and these are people i mean they have military backgrounds and they give their military and i'm thinking to myself what's going on here what's going on why is it why is it these people they're on gaia saying this stuff and they're you know they're talking about federations and this and that and i'm thinking to myself this has got to be either the biggest mind, you know what, mm -hmm. I, I could ever be watching, or this is real. Because these people, I mean, after all, they have reputations, they have long backgrounds in the military, and they have secret clearances and so on. So mm -hmm. what's going on? And now we're talking about militarizing. How are you going to militarize 
I mean, we are gnats, allegedly, compared to anybody who could make it to Earth is obviously way more sophisticated than anybody on Earth because Earth hasn't been able to make it anywhere but, you know, people, but to the moon, you know? Yeah. So, so what's going on? What experiences have you had in this? You know, there's a there's this weird divide here. You know, mm-hmm. these people with major credentials talking about aliens, and then over here in this sphere, you know, it's all BS and it's all make make believe. And yet we have this weaponization I, I came, of space. I came to this whole topic from uh, my. Uh, my investigations of intelligence services, because uh, uh, the, the weird thing was, uh, I, uh, I have to tell you, when I came out of university, I was very much convinced, and that is typically German, uh, I would say, uh, people who consider themselves educated in Germany uh, had the belief, um, the strong belief that it's all bullshit. Okay. It, it was nothing you could discuss at all. It was uh, weird. So that was my stance. And I talked to a guy from uh, who had been a, a cameraman for the United States Air Force. I became a friend of him. He was the oldest guy in the company. I was the youngest guy. And we both had a very high interest in, in aviation. So I discussed it with him. And he asked me about uh, what I thought of UFOs. And I said, uh, my argument was, it's very d- difficult to prove something negative which means that to prove that something does not exist. You know, if you say, uh, I met Mickey Mouse, how do you prove that it didn't happen? Yeah, so this was my argument. And he got angry with me. And he would really get, uh, I mean, we were, we were friends and he was the, the older, older guy who took care of this interesting young person from Germany. But he started to shout at me and yell and said, uh, you're just uh, another one of these arrogant academic uh, idiots. And you don't know anything BS about uh, what is really going on. And then I was astonished. I was so astonished about his reaction that I thought, uh, why did he do that? And so I thought it was because he knew more. And I tried to get something out. And he said some of several of the things uh, uh, he could not talk, but he could tell me that there's much more to it than I would ever imagine. That he talked to people chasing things with planes and so on. So that is how I got interested in it. And then you could see that, uh, for of course, I mean, that's simple logic for an intelligence service. If you have something like that, then you would say the possibility that this is real is very small, but there is a possibility and we need to know. We need to know if there is something to it, because if it was real, the importance of that would be so big that would be a game changer Huge. in everything. For yeah. example, if you get to know how to, uh, we cannot travel to other planets. Uh, we have our limitations, which is speed and speed of light and whatever, but uh, if you talk about several other dimensions, which physicists do, then there might be other uh, possibilities. Uh, There have been descriptions already how that is done with a retrieved spacecraft from alien civilizations. And you get into that, and then you are in a wilderness of mirrors. Because if you go at it rationally, it's very hard to see, uh, you know, also from intelligence services, you know that they use everything as deception methodology. Methodology, yeah. Methodologically, yeah. Yeah, that they use it to to have smoke and mirrors around them, so they could do something behind these smoke and mirrors. You can have a real. uh, That was, for example, in Area Fifty One, when you had this F one seventeen, which was doing its test flight there, and it looked like an arrowhead. 
uh, and people described it as an arrowhead that was an accurate description but you didn't want to anybody else to know that you were trying you know with the angular surfaces for stealth technology so you declared it a ufo and made bullshit of it and people right. see flying errors maybe they took too much of peyote or what else yeah so it's supposed this is in the game of intelligence it's both and then i saw you know from the files you can go to the fbi or cia files and then you can see that there were people from the very beginning who said this uh, there's a chance of this extraterrestrial hypothesis and you are left on out in the wilderness and the, what you described uh, we my colleague and me we talked to scientists quite often and only in the last year for the first time some people were willing to uh, acknowledge that they are thinking about the possibility yeah which every scientist should do by profession yeah. but they were so uh, it was uh, as you said it's not a boost for your career if you're a scientist it could be the very end of your career and the beginning you start to think about it that's not how science should work but it was for them it was kind of plutonium you touch it and uh, that's it you're radioactive and you will never be let into a laboratory as a biochemist or so and then it started with astrobiology which became really interesting because we noticed that for example i did a documentary on that that we have on planet earth we have several bacteria that would not survive on mars but they would hey! <laughs> it would be party time they live not on the ground but in the soil so oh. we know we know that uh, that there is the possibility so it, it it gained but the whole thing was again for a long time and i think this really is uh, luis elizondo who changed that who changed that yes. with this uh, strategy of also going into the media and by using the media as a tool to enforce the topic on politics and take it out from the realm of intelligence and military and secret operations and they now outsource this very much to private companies yeah, yeah. but but Lu elizondo could not have done that series um five years ago or no or maybe 10 years ago whatever something has changed there's a there's a limited hangout of information being put exactly. out there and again uh part of it is because uh they want money to develop the space force and this is a good way to get my oh yes these are threatening these are these it's not what it is almost to me, okay, my reptilian brain, my reptilian brain says, you know, it's kind of a look here, not there, because, mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, well, it's the aliens, but actually we want to militarize space so we can get the Chinese and Russians, you know, more exactly, easily. Exactly, exactly. This is, that's the uh, same, uh, same, and it's very sad because uh, I think uh, I think Lou Elizondo is uh, honestly interested in getting to, uh, uh, that we should get further on the track yes. Uh, yes. i had interviewed people from foreign technology division who uh, were responsible for example for project blue book and it was very different i talked to three guys and they had very different they're very different uh, uh, take on that one would say uh, it's all bullshit and i don't believe it in my recommendation he said that every american president coming in wanted to know from them what they knew and they said, we don't know very much. We have a, a small percentage of things that we cannot explain. And we think uh, we tried to find out, we tried to get to the bottom of it, but we couldn't. And we recommend that you don't spend any money on it because it will lead nowhere. It's no threat, 
So forget about it. Yeah, but what about Corso? You know, what, what he, <laughs> is Corso? Well, I can't I mean, remember what his what was his uh, rank. Was he a general? Colonel. Uh, he was Colonel. Colonel. He was Colonel. Colonel. Corso. He wrote that. But he book. was uh, he was the intelligence liaison for Eisenhower. So he was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, he was not. Uh, he was a very interesting guy. And then you, that's exactly at the end of his life, he comes up and tells these weird stories about re-engineering uh, and and uh, retrieved craft. And then you think shortly before you die, uh, you go out in the public and tell bullshit to to anybody because you just want to ridicule yourself and. Uh, fool everybody else so what would be the motivation to do that at right. the end of your life very right. strange very strange yeah that is uh, and he's not the only one so you see that uh, i'm telling you you go on that diet channel and uh there actually there's a series and this mm -hmm. this guy i can't remember his name right now who interviews these these military folks about um dealing with the aliens and and mm -hmm. i'm i'm sitting there listening and i'm I'm like, because this guy also, the, the interviewer, he, um, he, he was, I can't remember if he was a, a biotech guy or something or bio, but, it, you know, he dealt with, um, I think, pieces of alien, either bodies or craft. I can't remember which, but anyway, okay. this guy was, you know, he's part of this group of people talking about having encounters uh you know on on a scientific and collaborative basis whatever and and I, I i just sit there and i listen and i'm thinking this is so strange because outside of this gaia channel uh it, it's like a parallel universe where this is all bs so yes. I, I mean it's I kind of it's kind of meant to be that way i think that kind of confusion create that kind of confusion or whatever uh but I don't know what is because I would also think that if you're setting up a space force, a militarizing space, uh, you'd also be looking this way too, you know, towards well, we're militarizing ourselves up here. Is anything going to come at us from out there? <laughs> you, at least uh, you, uh, I would, uh, I would be happy to know that somebody thinks in that way. Because you, uh, you start to go with uh, military. I mean, that's why I said I would like to have that conference, for example. And you, you're always limited to your own history and thoughts. And I mean, that's how they did it in the beginning. Uh, they were arguing, uh, look what happened to the um, uh, American cultures, uh, native cultures when Columbus came. It was so uh, their argument was uh, if they would be coming in a different civilization, it would be we would be the native Indians and they would be Columbus and we would collapse. So be careful about that. This is nothing, nothing easy to deal with. Basically, that's a confirmation that we, you know, are the brutal evil ones. You know, we were we we came, you know, the white folks, we came to these lands and we we exterminated these people. Uh, and so the projection is, if we did it, that's what they're going to do to us. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's, I mean, that's if you look deep. what uh, Columbus came and there's a famous quote, I, I recommend Howard Zinn, uh, the yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great history book. But uh, if you look at that, uh, then he came and he said, uh, we have made encounter with these natives and they're very friendly and they come with presents. 
and uh, they're very peaceful and it would be great because we can make great slaves out of them there would be no resistance and we can just abuse them we <laughs> that can was make the it, mindset wait, we can make great slaves of them is that what he said yes that was wow. the beginning he was thinking in terms of uh, of wow. uh, that they could use it it was not we we encountered and but it was simply how could we make slaves of them that was the mindset and that is as i said cannonball policy it's, it's the same thing so we uh, and then but if you uh, talking about getting weapons into space, you should at least think about the possibility that this is a limit where which you transgress, where you could be interesting if there are other civilizations where you become interested, uh, interesting. Yeah. So we should consider, this is why I think a conference like that would be reasonable. And then my point would be from our, uh, from our perspective, that would be, I think from the, uh, from the human logic and, and philosophy and law, it would be as soon as you go into space, is you make that step and then come with weapons, then you are not no longer limited. It's not that anymore that you can do what you want. But if you get into possibility to disturb uh, the order uh, uh, of the area around, then you are a, a legal entity uh, of a space community, so to speak. You are something, and I think the same in a way you could argue with nuclear power. You know, one of the th strange things is that if you look into UFO sightings, you will notice that a lot of the sightings are connected to nuclear energy, that they are nuclear rockets, that they are nuclear power plants. And that makes, on the one hand, you could have a very simple explanation because everything nuclear is security and uh, it's well guarded and well watched. So it could be a higher probability that uh, if there's something around it, you find it. But on the other hand, also, you could say, you know, if you think about something, what would you look for? If you look for a civilization in space, that would be a good, uh, you know, if, if you're able to deal technically with nuclear power, you have a certain level, which is uh, interesting. And so it would be like, uh, ah, okay, that's an indication. And then you, we talk about 1947, we talk about Roswell. That was the part uh, where the first nuclear bomber squadron of the or wing of the American, of the US Air Force was stationed. So it was the connection of nuclear power. And then you look at it and then you see uh, probably uh, it has been used. So that makes uh, a lot of sense that it's co connected, that you're interested in that. But then again, as you said, I, I also, I think it's very sad because you can see as soon as we're able to, we, I always say we, but it's uh, first, the first thing is that it's about power, who has power. And the other thing is about communication. As long as the topic of UFOs is something for the X-Files, a very intelligent series, or it's, uh, it's on the tabloid side, but it doesn't transgress into university level or into a parliament. And that's only recently that it happened. As long as it's something that is discussed in certain circles, which are not really part of the, let's say, intellectual establishment, or it's only for some weird weirdos who do that as a hobby, intellectuals who uh, like to think about everything, then it is, uh, it's, uh, but this has changed. It has transgressed from the fringes of the communication society into parliament, into the center. There's Avi Loeb, uh, which I consider a great guy in terms of scientific interest. Now it's so, suddenly it's a topic where scientists work, uh, work, work on it. And even who's, Avi, who's Avi Loeb? He's an astrophysicist from Harvard. And uh, he's- Harvard? Uh, From Harvard? Yeah, so he's he's one of the top guys in science uh, in, in astrophysicists, and he started to uh, first he said, you know, there was this 
Thing Oumuamua, uh, which yes. came uh, across our galaxy. That yeah? cigar shaped thing, that big long thing. Yeah. It's probably not cigar shaped, but it's probably pancake. Well, it was shaped. long. Yeah. It was long and flat. It was depicted like a cigar. It looked yeah. like a badly made cigar. That's what they depicted it. But what we, we don't have very much, and this is what Avi Lop was saying, it was what we know is that it had a higher reflectivity than usually rocks would have. It was probably pancake shaped and it, uh, it sped up, it accelerated while going through our universe. And that is how. And then his argument was, if we take everything that we have, which is not very much together, then we should come to the possibility to think about that this is kind of a Voyager, uh, a Voyager uh, thing that is sent by somebody else uh, passing by us to, to have a look at us. And it could be, you know, could be something like a drone. So uh, Avi Loeb said, this is really a, a valid hypothesis, maybe the most valid, valid hypothesis that we can have uh, according to the data, but we don't have enough data. So we should start to look out for things like that. Because if there is something else, it would probably send like Voyager spacecraft uh, across and we should know more about it next time something comes that we have uh, a better look at it with telescopes in the space for example that we it's simply like a good uh, a good scientific uh, method to to if we want to know more about it we have to think about it and i think that's exactly uh, for me it was a big relief because i thought uh, we're great this is the scientific mindset and finally it's possible to say something like that i think uh, any Anybody who is a real scientist thinks this is uh, maybe the most interesting question of all. Not are we alone? Yeah. We are probably yeah. not. But do, do we have contact? Is it possible to have contact? And what does it mean for us uh, if there is this possibility? And it was all, you know, it's so sad that it is on this military level, that it's only well, it's like reptile brain level. It makes it makes sense in this in this sense is that um, for the military, first first and complete access to any higher technology that is not available already available on the earth is what they're doing that's that's why you have all this uh mm. poo-pooing of aliens and this and that and the other and and keeping everything under wraps and so on is because that technology is what gives you the edge in terms of your the power that you wield on this planet you know mm -hmm. And and right now, for example, you know, again, on these on, you know, on this Gaia channel, you hear these guys talking about types of energy, cold fusion energy. And there's a gravitational energy. I forget what it's called, where they already know about it. They already know mm -hmm. about it. Um, but of course, the oil oil is is the life is the energy that, you know, that the. the they are, they have right now they have the uh, grip on the planet and uh, any kind of clean, free, cheap, whatever energy is not welcome until the last drop of oil has been spent, you know, or and and so or and and of course we're talking about other technology too you know hyper nanotechnology i don't know i mean they're i don't know those technologies those technologies if if they've been if they've been culled from uh you know crashed vehicles or other contacts or whatever we you and i don't know about it this is uh, i think an important thought is if you have gaia channel then 
you can discuss anything there. You can discuss uh, 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 my my uh, girlfriend or my daughter was abducted by an alien and right, I don't know right. where she is. That would be possible, but not in Harvard. Yeah. So well, would, yeah, uh, of course not, because so, those are the those are the mainstream. Those are the thought. Those are the thought. Uh, what do you call it? They're you know they're like the they're in control of what you think and what is right. What, what is, is possible right, to what talk. Is what is possible. What is possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and then on the other hand, you have to be aware that uh, it really is possible to say anything on Gaia. So uh, how do you check what is valid or not? Exactly. And then you are in this, you are in that, re what you, what you told about, you listen to that and then you say, well, that's, uh, that's a big, uh, that's a big uh, thing that you're talking about. And there's this uh, uh, this rule from Carl Sagan, which is very good, which says, uh, you know, big uh, big arguments need big proof and yes. not small proof. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. is that is very reasonable. But then again, I say uh, it is. This is what what uh, science and intellectual thinking is about. And there was also like the uh, like DAPA. They had a conference on this question, and they said. Uh, if somebody is thinking about it, it should be us. We should be the ones to to think ahead. So if something is there that uh, that there's already something, let's say in the drawer that you can can take out and uh, that you don't start from from zero. And that is exactly intelligence uh, type of thinking. So I think. But we my uh, my idea was what I came to my first conclusion about 15 years ago when I started to think about it was that this was. Uh, taken and it was taken into the realm of national security and, and intelligence services, which means only a very few people should know what it is about. The rest is fed with kept in the dark and fed with bullshit. And that's the way it should be. And it should have been in the realm of science, where it means that you can discuss anything. You have to get proof, and it's discussed by the knowledgeable people who have capability to understand it. And the rule there is complete openness. You have to uh, everything can be discussed, but anything has to be proven. If you think that'll ever happen, you're dreaming in color. <laughs> I, I do. I hope. I think, you know, in a way, it's uh, it's very hard to uh, you could also look at the whole thing in a way. Again, if you think about in terms of communication, if you think about my friend, my American cameraman friend uh, who was talking about that, that he that. They were part of a of a crew that was. Uh, he said, uh, for example, he said this whole thing with a Santilli film is a fake because we had would have been the ones to film that. What's because the Santilli film? It is an alien uh, uh, alleged alleged. Uh, it's a fake, uh, an alleged. Uh, uh, they took an alien apart. Uh, oh, alien autopsy! That alien autopsy. autopsy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. don't uh, don't believe it. And he, for several reasons, he gave good reasons why this is uh, why this is uh, 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 nonsense. But uh, again, you know, if you if you have these things, it's um, as I said. The point is, what can you believe? What uh, can you believe? What can you talk about? And these things are are very very weird. And uh, the the big thing now for me is that it crossed over into the realm of, for example, this top notch guy. Avi Loeb was discussing that and saying we should be interested in it. We should, uh, well, we should have. For now, what we're interested in is that's and then I, I think we have to we have to advance. And I think uh, you know one of the things that uh, I think is important is that we talk about these things and uh, that we have uh, kind of 
utopian visions of what it should be because the only ut utopian visions we have right now are those of the oligarchs from the World Monetary Fund. Yeah, but Fund. it's their utopia. Oh, Klaus Schwab. It's yeah, but their, that's, yeah. their utopia is our sort of, um, you know, control and enslavement. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, space is for uh, militarizing space is, is so that you can control the resources and enrich a few people and the rest of us, you know, can go to hell. And, and it, 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 it's, as they say in French, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, <laughs> the more they stay the same. You know, we've come to the end of our hour. This has been fascinating. We got to talk about But I want to get back to that. You know, what you just described, that you said uh, that, uh, that I think this is exactly the point. They govern everything. They govern now land, sea, air. Now they govern space. And they also govern our vision of the future. It shouldn't be that way. It should, you know, the uh, like science fiction had been when I was a young kid or my uh, from my family, a lot of people read that. And that was about how could it be? How should it be? It's a mix of, uh, of science and fiction. Our next and conversation, our next conversation okay. <laughs> will be how do you make it the, the way that you think it should be? <laughs> now, okay. not me. All of us. All we should us. do that together. We okay. should be in this together. Okay. Okay. We are in this together. <laughs> Thank you, Dirk. <laughs>